Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside our nation's capital in autumnal Stafford, Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio, sir, to our live show that we bring you guys every single week to give you our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world today, what's happening in news and media, how to break through the propaganda, deprogram from all of the dumbassery and brainwashing that has occurred and how to actually see through it, get to the facts and understand what's going on. And obviously it's a very busy weekend that got... um, well, I hate to say it, uh, not to be ironic, but blown up, um, you know, partway through of our normal show prep times that we do over the weekend. Uh, and primarily that comes because there was an attack in Israel and it is going to cause a very interesting political situation. I know most people may not view it that way, um, but instead of diving into all of the particulars on everything that's going on, because let's be honest, what person needs to be told the uh, facts in particular, when it comes to the conflict between Israel and Palestine. Uh, I think everyone's pretty well aware of what's been going on there and the, you know, thousands-year grudge that's been occurring and all of that. And so it's a very interesting situation because we're going to see a number of interesting takes. And I think that politically, this is going to put us into a very... I'm going to say it this way, and so everyone will just calm down. This is going to put us into what I'm going to consider a hilarious situation because there's zero way that there can't be some sort of crazy tribalism that may be somewhat unexpected, and I think it's going to cause a lot of very interesting takes. I think that this is going to be an interesting time for us here at Wrong Think Radio to point out some of the hilarious things that are going to go on on the left because this puts the left in a very, very shitty position. So just to give you guys a basic rundown of what happened, what was it? Uh, Friday? It was, yeah, Friday evening um, for us here on the, well, for me here on the East Coast, uh, Hamas staged basically a very well-coordinated attack against Israel. The first thing that they did was they launched so many rockets that the Iron Dome could not respond. It was basically like the physical equivalent of a DDoS attack, like a denial of service. So many rockets came across that it just overwhelmed the system of the Iron Dome and those rockets were able to land. At the same time, they sent uh, people over the border uh, or had them already embedded within parts of Israel and they started taking over areas within the Gaza Strip and just uh, just inside the Israeli border of uh, in Gaza. And we saw a lot of horrific videos of people being kidnapped, uh, Hamas soldiers going house to house, shooting people, killing civilians in the streets, and overwhelming IDF forces. Uh, they were able to capture a, a forward operating base of the Israeli Defense Force. Uh, it, we saw everything to include ultralights, which are those little, like, you know, it's a chair with a giant fan on the back and a paraglider on the top. They had, like, an entire, you know, at least company-level element of these ultralights yeah. flying into areas uh, and guys dismounting those. And fire. It was 
It was from from a coin operations, and for those of you who don't know, might be new to the show, Alan and I are veterans of the global war on terror. We deployed to Afghanistan. We fought terrorists and had to, you know, research them and, and study them and understand coin operations. This was an incredible feat. Um, you know, don't don't get too sensitive about that, but from a military perspective and a counterinsurgency perspective, this was a very incredible feat for a um, yeah. terrorist outfit. It was it was simply uh, fascinating and very uh, far more sophisticated than most operations we have seen. They clearly did a huge amount of planning and effort went into this attack um, because of the what it seems like is the coordinated nature of it is at the same time you're having these group of infiltrators paragliding into locations you have uh, bulldozers ripping down border fortifications and guys streaming through on motorcycles it seems as though they had in the preceding weeks infiltrated a large number of fighters secretly into israel and all of them essentially activated at the same time there were uh, large-scale sort of small drone attacks on various installations so one of the things around the gaza strip there's a bunch of guard towers and sensor outposts and camera networks and a lot and i saw a number of videos of those specific things getting hit with drones where it's a little quadcopter dropping a grenade right into a camera tower destroying the cameras or a remote gun system destroying the optics for the gun and then allowing a group of fighters to essentially attack that installation without all of the usual warning and systems that had been in place yeah and it's a uh, i mean it's an interesting um, situation, to say the least. Now, not to burst anybody's bubble, but uh, a, a couple of things that should be pointed out. Number one, yes, the Biden administration released about $6 billion uh, to Iran uh, as part of a uh, an exchange of them being able to get back hostages. Now, a lot of people are referencing this as being like, oh my gosh, we just gave Iran $6 billion and now Hamas is attacking Israel. Obviously, Iran's financing this. Now, that could all be true, but there's zero way that that $6 billion is actually financing any of this. This is uh, far too far too quick. Now, Iran mm-hmm. does finance Hamas. True, that it, that is a true, true statement. Iran is not afraid of the United States. That is a true statement. Um, the Biden administration... And this is what's interesting. We have to go. We have to go backward a little bit, and then we'll we'll get back into some of the particulars here. But, but on the political level, which is the part that I want to talk about, because to be completely honest, like, do I want to ju- uh, adjudicate the uh, the conflict between Israel and Palestine? No, I don't. Um, <clears throat> this is it, you. You think it started in in the nineteen fifties? It didn't. It started. This is thousands of years old. This is like a blood grudge, and I just don't. I mean. The conflict as it is today did start around you know the 1950s at the foundation of Israel and things like that. But at the same time, right, uh, these people hate each other on like a an ancestral level. Um, See, I in, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know about that. That's I think true. that there was it's like there weren't that many Jews in Palestine until around the 1920s. Okay, it's like Palestine, for example, the the. I mean, the whole place was the Ottoman Empire for a few, for hundreds of years previous. For exa- so, and for example, the port, the Israel's largest port city, the city of Haifa, 
city that's thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. In 1900, the city was 90% was filled with 90% Arabs and then a smattering of Christians and Jews. By 1950, the city of Haifa was 90% Jews with a few hangers-on of Palestinians and Christians. I think the real core of the of this conflict really happened between the 1920s and the 1950. Okay, like, so up you, until that point, mm -hmm. a bunch of Palestinians, like it was the entire area was vastly majority Palestinians with small with small minority Jewish communities. Okay, I don't is, is, know how much actual hatred and interethnic violence there was back then, but it seems like it drastically ramped up after millions of European Jews, which they're all Europeans. So saying there's an ancestral hatred between Arab Palestinians and European Jews is kind of weird to me because those people trace their ancestry back to Eastern, Eastern Europe and honestly Ukraine. Um, there were Sephardic Jew communities in Palestine, and those were the ones that had roots there that go back thousands of years. But that's ethnically different than the millions of Jews that that moved to Palestine from the 1920s to the 1950s. And I think that is truly the cause of the serious inter-ethnic violence that happened. I mean, in the, after World War II, millions of Jews flooded into Palestine, the British essentially gave up trying to police the inter-ethnic violence that was arising between uh, essentially groups of Jews and Palestinians essentially trying to hold on to their homes, upset that there's this mass immigration into their area, and it ended with the Jews essentially forcing out millions of Palestinians. There was the original, the war in 1948, where a bunch of Arab countries kind of went, you can't just, you can't just steal this land from Palestinians you create a Jewish state, we're going to invade Israel. And then as part of that war, millions of Palestinians were essentially forced out of areas they'd lived in for hundreds of years into small areas like the Gaza Strip and West Bank. And I think that truly caused the animosity that is the core of the conflict up until this day. So Saying you, that they hate each other for thousands of mm -hmm. years, I think that they were getting along pretty well until the demographics were radically and artificially changed in the 1940s and that really inflamed tensions to the point they are today so you think the um the concept of the the abraham abrahamic religions and the you know, basically let's call it like the the fight over jerusalem is more of just an excuse uh that's used to justify um yeah yeah. Okay. No, I mean that makes sense. Uh, yeah, um, and it, mostly because it doesn't make sense. The, the the Sephardic Jews are ethnically different than Ashkenazi Jews, which were the majority of European Jews that came in. So saying that there's this thousand year mm. struggle between Jews and Arabs is kind of contrived, because the vast majority of Jews in Israel today, a thousand years ago, had absolute were nowhere near the Arabs that. Are the Palestinians? They were in, out, out in, in Europe. Their ancestors, the ancestors, never really fought each other, and so that, that's that's why I feel it's some, somewhat of a contrived issue that gives a very good justification for Israel's occupation of is the creation of Israel is 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 very convenient for Israel that they can claim well, like thousands of years ago, this was our quote homeland, mm -hmm. and that's why we deserve to have it today. But the vast majority of Israeli Jews, their descendants don't are 
very roundabout and tenuously connected with the region, just because genetically they're much more, they're vastly closer to being Europeans and especially Eastern Europeans than they are Sephardic Jews and Arabs. Yeah, you would see this as being similar to me being like, um, you know, like calling Bavaria my home and like demanding that I, I be allowed to have land in Bavaria because, you know, three generations ago my family was there like i almost have more of a claim than than what you're than what you're seeing when it comes to like israeli land certainly yeah yeah i i see what you're saying so i, I get it um in but, a way yes but um what's going to be interesting here well and i do find it interesting like like Obviously, there's historic text uh, that goes back and, you know, there's discussions of, of the different uh, kingdoms and everything that existed in this place. But I do always find it very funny because mm-hmm. the atheistic progressives will use similar language um, like what we're talking about here and talking about, you know, like, well, it's, it's, it's their place. It's their homeland and whatever. And it's like, well, based on what? And they're like, well, based on this religious text. You know, I it, think a better it, it, example it, it, would be mm-hmm. me claiming some sort of ownership over Armenia because Armenians are Christians. Right. Yeah. And, that, and well, and that's well, yeah. That's I'm, the I'm I'm a Christian and Armenians are Christian, but ethnically we don't have it that much of a similarity. Well, and and to that point, it's interesting that you know it, there's that picking and choosing that seems to occur. You and I have mm-hmm. talked about this in, in several different things where um, the typically atheistic uh, progressives and academics suddenly trust religious text for certain things, you know, whether, (laughs) you know, the um, providence of Zion, that, that whole idea is that, well, this was get, this land was given to us by God. And it's like, you don't even believe in God. (laughs) How do you you claim this? Um, But at the same point, so, What's happening is, I mean, uh, it's it's an interesting situation because we've we've discussed this at length, and one of the things that we've discussed a lot, especially in the guise of Ukraine, is how much U.S. aid and U.S. involvement needs to occur when it comes to some of these different conflicts that exist um, around the world. But in addition to that, it's it's also interesting because a lot of people on the right, obviously don't want to provide funding to Ukraine. And this is presented in the idea that we need to worry about our country first. Like we need to take care of problems. We need to secure our border. We need to take care of the crime issues that are happening in the United States. We need to take care of, you know, rampant inflation. We shouldn't be spending hundreds of billions of dollars on foreign wars that don't even involve us. And now don't, you know, don't jump into the chat right yep. now and start telling me that it's like, we have to fight them there so we don't have to fight them here. It's like, that's ridiculous because in fact, I'll prove it to you right now for anybody who has that, you know, neocon response uh, that basically it's like, we have to fund Israel to fight the terrorists or else they'll come here. Well, we're not doing anything to stop them from coming here. If we're worried about Hamas terrorists, let's just say doing exactly what they did in Israel by being able to embed and on some sort of signal or date or specified time doing a mass coordinating attack. Well, guess what, guys? Um, We would do that by controlling our border. And no matter how much money or material we send to Israel, it won't stop that. So and if there's two, mm-hmm. yeah, so there's to me watching what's going on in Israel. It's like you have basically terrorists running, well, 
You have hum- I don't calling them terrorists. I I think people who kidnap yeah. women and children and then shoot civilians, I think it's fine calling them terrorists. Yeah. I guess in my head, I was thinking more like it's not a guy, a random, a single suicide bomber. It's, you, this is a coordinated, true military operation. Yes, it feels military, and, that, and it in is my war. Head, that was the difference. Okay, it's like this is a full-scale, coordinated military operation, not a, um, yeah, it's not a simple. It's more than a simple terrorist attack. I guess was my um, yeah, how it feels to me, and that's why I was trying to think of a way to describe it uh, in those terms because it's not just a terrorist attack. It's a full insurgency. Military insurgency, yeah. So insurgents—that's actually a, a, probably the good ter- good term to use. Seeing video of these insurgents being able to infiltrate and basically run rampant through the streets in what is clearly a very well coordinated and planned set of attacks uh, brings up ve- two very big um, components to me that I think are a very good thing to capitalize and talk about right now. The first one, of course, is border security. Mm-hmm. These guys were able to, because they're, the Israeli border seemingly got very complacent about its own about protecting it. That well, we can just kind of rely on all these systems to be in place and not have to, and it'll just be fine. All of these guys were able to sneak through, were able to infiltrate, were able to attack the border at key locations that probably had been already pre-sighted and identified as weak, and. Thus, with a pressure applied by a determined adversary, boom, you know, you know, have a bunch of insurgents rampaging through the streets. Mm-hmm. Additionally, and so for border security, I saw a great video today, which I don't think was from this conflict, but it was from a, it was a Hamas, uh, I guess, uh, sort of propaganda footage, but it shows a bunch of dudes in the desert running up, like basically sneaking through the desert setting up this firing line of about a dozen of these drones, like autonomous little airplane-type drones with a warhead and a guidance system, basically popping out of the desert, setting these up on a very rudimentary stand, then they all take off and fly away, and then it was basically video of those crashing. They don't carry much of an explosive playload, but it's enough that I certainly wouldn't want it landing in my streets. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that would be... And 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 it, it was, you know, 20 of these guys just in the desert, just set these up. It's like, you could do that on the southern border, and there is nothing the United States has in place currently to stop that from happening. And I think that's a very good takeaway from this, is looking at how easy it is for a determined adversary with modern weapons and technology to absolutely wreak havoc in your country and cause serious problems that, you are, that most countries are not prepared to deal with. That, and I think, that, like, that's a, especially with the Ukraine war as well. These quadcopter drones, which have become popular, they're not that expensive, and it's easy to rig them up to drop a grenade or a mortar or an improvised explosive. Very few people are actually prepared to deal with that in any way or, or to have any sort of countermeasure against it. And that's something that I find that I think is a very good thing to focus on is that level of security that we t- used to take for granted and is no longer... Uh, something that can be assured. Secondarily, mm-hmm. uh, there is a great video from this recent conflict where a bunch of these insurgents are storming a uh, Israeli kibbutz, which is kind of these quasi-town, fortified town, commune kind of things. Like a bunch of buildings all arranged around each other to be sort of this 
little community. A lot of the settlements you hear about in the West Bank and that, that are all contentious involve these little kibbutz things, which are kind of it's like, let's we want a little community, but we also want it to be buildings close together because we're kind of out on the frontier. And it showed these guys like kind of rampaging through this. And when you think about Israel, a lot of people think of them as having extensive civilian firearms ownership. That's not exactly true. They have extensive firearms ownership, but it's more akin. But it's a malicious system where your firearms are held at a depot or a armory, not in your home. And so all of these poor dude people in this kibbutz was like, well, I'd love to have my M16, but it's three miles away in the armory. And now there's a bunch of insurgents running around watching these guys run through the streets of various Israeli cities. It's like, man, if just if every if just a few people had rifles, that would drastically change the course of this invasion. Well, and drastically it's, because it's a, you couldn't just mm-hmm. rampage through the streets unhindered wait you're just like yeah the police response time is this or if we already just like attacked the police station in the town there's no one that's going to oppose us we can just operate free freely if you had just a minority of the population that just had firearms in their homes you couldn't operate freely it would bog everything down and allow time for the IDF to have a to come up with a serious response. Yeah, so it, I think that as far as the second amendment is concerned, this makes this invasion makes an incredible case for why civilian firearms ownership in your home at a military grade level is absolutely critical for national defense. It's like if the cartels swarmed across the southern border, the way that the these Hamas insurgents are swarming across out of the Gaza Strip. The first town they come to in Texas, a bunch of people are going to have guns and will just and could start shooting at them. And that means that it has to slow down and stop right there. You couldn't operate freely. You'd have to deal with that threat. And if I mean, it doesn't have to be that many people, but it suddenly means you have to be looking. It's like every window might have a rifle in it. Well, now you have to be very careful about how you operate because, you know, there's not that many insurgents, and you're relying on speed. It's, to me, that's a really, I think, a very good takeaway from this is just how important both uh, border security and civilian firearms ownership truly are. Well, and that's what's, um, it, it's fascinating because, you know, when we have the debate <clears throat> here in the United States, when we talk about like the Second mm-hmm. Amendment or, you know, as people say, ownership of an assault rifle and things like that. Well, when you bring up being like a yeah. veteran, for example, um, mm-hmm. you know, like from you or I, we're like, well, you know, I'm a veteran. I'm the most familiar uh, with the AR platform. Uh, should I be allowed to own it? And a lot of people, mm-hmm. as even on the left, will say, well, yeah, a veteran can own a firearm. Sure. Right, like that's one of those mm-hmm. one of those weird situations where they don't really want to debate the idea of a veteran being able to own a firearm because it's like, well, you've received proper training and you're not just some, you know, idiot guy. That's where it gets incredible. Yeah. Is Israel has conscription? Mm-hmm. Like everyone's required to either be in the civil service or in the um, you know serve in the IDF. Now there's been a lot right. of contention over that and and what have you and we don't need to dive down that rabbit hole but for the most part 
they're a conscription based country, but they limit mm-hmm. firearms ownership. They're it, when you look at the law, it doesn't look restrictive. But then when you look at the idea that something like 40 to 60 percent of applications to own a personal firearm are denied. In Israel. Yeah. In Israel. And so it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, like the, which I don't know. I had never thought about it until I started seeing these arguments. And that's bananas to me. <laughs> like, right? I just if I was, you know, like, like, oh, hey, you know, you should go live in this kibbutz like over by the West Bank. You're like, well, and I can have like a pistol and a rifle. Right. And then the government's like, well, no, we wouldn't want you to do that. That would be terrible. And it's like, yeah, why the fuck would anyone do this? Like, it, it just it's it's so foreign. Yeah. To, I, I Look, I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be callous here. There's, there's reasons there's reasons for it which are it, it is very inconvenient for the Israeli government if a settler in the West Bank shoots a Palestinian well yeah no that I yep yeah that's that's absolutely and true that's, and that's why they and that's one of the reasons why they restrict it is you there is a large number there's a contingent of Jews in Israel that feel that they have a right to own, to establish they have a right to the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, and they can push. And they have a lot of this is they have this issue with these settlers, where, pe- where groups of Jews will, without the sanction of the Israeli government, be like, uh, "We're starting a settlement here," and the mm. Israeli government will go, "But we have a treaty with the Palestinians to not expand the settlements there," and they'll go, "I don't care. Israel's Israel's our homeland. We can we can do this," and then they'll do it, and then the Palestinians will go. Well, we're going to basically go attack these guys. And the Israeli government is in this position of we either have to go defend them and essentially break our previous ceasefire with the Palestinians by sending troops into the West Bank to defend these settlements. Or we let a bunch of Jews get murdered by Palestinians. And we don't want to do that either. That's politically untenable. And that's that is, I think, one of the reasons why they restrict firearms ownership to basically be like, you can't just go establish settlements in the West Bank and force your way in. Fine, fine. If we're going to do that, then you have to call the IDF and go through the government or else you're operating outside government sanction. Hmm. Okay. Which I think is also pretty hilarious that that's, that that's an issue that the government faces. Well, yeah, and it's, uh, I, I mean, but but to the point that you were making, it is fascinating because, yeah, border security and civilian firearms mm-hmm. ownership would have made a very and vastly different situation uh, when it comes to Israel. And now anyone who yep. talks about funding and financing and, and what have you, when we talk about like, you know, we need to prioritize our issues first, this really does bring stuff like that to the forefront. But where it is going to get interesting and hilarious politically is it's going to put the left in a very weird position. Like, let's just be honest here, not to... <clears throat> None of this is a conspiracy uh, and none of this, you know, none of this is unfactual. And what I mean by that is there is going to be a very different tact taken when it comes to financing Israel over somewhere like Ukraine, even though the situations could be looked at as extremely similar. And the reason why if we're just going to be honest and adults about this is there are a large contingent of Americans, particularly well-to-do and well-off Americans who donate politically that hold dual citizenship. 
there are politicians in the United States that hold dual citizenship with Israel. There are super PACs like uh, AI PAC, the American Israeli Political Action Committee, that donate millions of dollars to politicians for their support of Israel. There are a there is a large contingent of lobbyists and donors and private citizens that make mm-hmm. support for Israel contingent on their political donations. That right. just is what it is. People want to turn that into some sort of conspiracy. They want to claim it's some sort of right wing or white supremacist or whatever uh, issue, mm-hmm. but it's not. There's nothing anti-Semitic about it. It just is what it is. These are true things. Right. And not even in not even in a way that's necessarily untoward, um, that means that inherently people who may not be supportive of, you know, uh, conflicts in, say, Ukraine are going to likely be more supportive of conflicts in Israel. And it's not going to make any real sense. And the reason why, mm-hmm. and, well, and it, and it could go to, you know, you also have to leave the door open for things like Zionism. You know, there is a contingent of Christians uh, that really want uh, Israel to get fully and completely established. So then they'll rebuild the temple and then the end days come and we all meet Jesus Christ. You know, <laughs> that that's a real thing. That is absolutely um, thing that that it is naive to not recognize that zionism both christian and jewish absolutely does affect the u.s u.s politics and the position towards israel there's a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of power cumulatively as a group there's a big block of people who absolutely feel um that the jews retaking and Owning Israel is some sort of divinely inspired thing that they want to see continue and um, and want to encourage that through the U.S. government. Right. And, you know, I'm not even necessarily <laughs> there, there. There's a lot of what part part of the reason why I'm laughing is uh, Al- Alan and I, when we were doing our, our prep call last night, we were pointing out how hilarious it is that for the first time. Uh, we were seeing, um, <laughs> I don't know, what do we call it? Uh, mustache Twitter, um, you know, Hitler Twitter and severe oh, yeah. left wing Twitter were agreeing. There was an agreement between the uh, kind of more um, neo-Nazi <laughs> side of Twitter and the severe left side of Twitter, which was that there's zero way that this was an intelligence failure. The Israeli government allowed this to happen as a psyop to predicate war in Israel to get a bunch of funding and then attack and take the Gaza Strip. We saw that I argument. I don't necessarily even disagree with that. I think that's at least on the table we, somehow. We like That argument would be made on any other conflict. There's no reason why it can't yeah. be made here. Um, it's just like uh, just like how people look at 9-11 and say, well, or, or even Pearl Harbor, where people look at it and go, it seems like they must have had, it seemed for this intelligence failure to be this pronounced, mm-hmm. there had, somebody had to know and then choose to do nothing or encourage this attack to happen because look how incredibly convenient it is to all of these parties. I think that's a very... 
The problem with that is that would someone do that if they thought they could get away with it? Probably. Does that mean that it actually happened that way? No, but that's what makes it difficult is I can't fault the logic of, like, for example, Pearl Harbor. I, now, I don't think this is true, having looked into it, but did Roosevelt order all of the U.S. carriers to not be at Pearl Harbor and then essentially ignore a bunch of intelligence that an attack was going to happen because he wanted a excuse to get into World War II? Now, an actual reading of the situation, that's not true. But I can understand how people look at that set of facts, that the carriers weren't there, that intelligence of this attack was ignored, and it was extremely convenient for Roosevelt uh, politically to push the war that he wanted. I can't... Uh, people, people notice those facts and come to a very understandable conclusion, and I can see how you look at the facts with Israel here, where one of the most heavily protect supposedly heavily protected borders between Israel and Gaza and the you know the this, the terrifying intelligence apparatus of the Mossad and the might of the IDF all seemingly were just vanished i can see how people look at that and go well clearly there's something else at play here because that's crazy um and i it's i don't know what the reality is it is very politically convenient for uh, Netanyahu. It's convenient for Israeli war hawks who want a final chance to, you know, final solution Gaza and w push the Palestinians completely out and uh, basically take over the area. That's been a goal of uh, uh, people in the Israeli government for a while. And boy, is this convenient for that. So I can understand where that sort of idea comes from. And it would be I think remiss to not acknowledge how convenient some of these things are for certain aspects of Israeli politics. Right. And it's just it is a, a funny thing to point out that, you know, Hitler Twitter and Marx Twitter uh, <laughs> were all agreeing yeah. with one another, I, I, which I, I the reason why I find that funny is because the left always accuses people of being Nazis and things like that. And then the, all of a sudden they have the exact same opinion as neo-Nazis. Now, that doesn't mean um, that doesn't mean that that opinion necessarily, you know, is, um, necessarily like an anti-Semitic or neo-Nazi opinion. It's just hilarious that the left, you know, the, yeah. the, the way that the left has to handle it, because the, the left loves nothing more than they're always going to support whoever they think is the biggest victim that pushes their narrative. Like to be completely huh. honest, for the most part, liberals in America don't actually give a shit about the Palestinians. They just see them as being right. the brown, the the brown bodies, uh, the the sad brown people, and they love nothing more than being on the side of the sad brown people because it makes them feel good. It, it, they don't they don't care about the Palestinians. It's about them. They want to be able to feel good, um, and but it's going to create a very interesting situation because the left has very very staunchly stomped their feet and said that if a big mean aggressor comes into the sovereign land of a country um, that makes them evil. It makes them horrifically immoral. And therefore mm -hmm. we should spend um, all of our treasure, if not even all of our blood uh, fighting this evil devil aggressor, because it's basically literally Hitler. I'm obviously referencing Putin in Ukraine. Well, there's no difference yeah. between what happened in Ukraine really. And what is going on in, um, and, and, and what's going on right now in Israel. So the left mm -hmm. should, 
and, and to be fair, politically they will. Don't don't misunderstand me. But the left, um, they're like little foot soldiers. Should one hundred percent be like, oh my god, we have to like fund Israel to the hilt. But there's going to sure. be a lot of contingents in uh, you know in, in the progressive movement and on the left that support Palestine because Palestine. I mean, like let's just be honest, Israel. Like they're doing pretty well. They're a first world country. They have all this financing. They're you know ostensibly white. Um, so that that's like they they don't check any of the boxes that the left wants to check. Right. Um, whereas Palestine's always presented as the sad brown people. So there mm-hmm. is absolutely going to be a contingent of leftists that are going to be absolutely pissed over the idea yeah. of us supporting Israel, which is going to make them massive hypocrites because yes. what's going to be super lame and frustrating about that is how many t- how many times we're going to see the, see guys, the left is actually the anti-Semites because they're not supporting billions of dollars going to Israel, which is going to, it, Yo, it, it is absolutely so going to be annoying. annoying. It's also going to be annoying that we're going to see politicians on the right that were, that were saying we should not be financing Ukraine because it's a forever war. It's not our problem, which all of those boxes get checked when we talk about this conflict. And if we want to be completely honest about it, Israel is far more capable than Ukraine was. Israel has far more money than Ukraine does. Uh, They're suddenly going to want to support all of this military aid and funding that's going to go into Israel, perhaps, depending on how much this progresses. There's a lot of discussion Mm -hmm. about it right now. I say we wait a few days because it's also entirely possible that the IDF just steamrolls the shit out of all of this and then it's just it's over like things are just over yeah and there's so not going to be a what need. the idf has um that's what they've said they're going to do mm-hmm. is they're going to utterly crush and destroy gaza um i think netanyahu is saying all civilians need to leave gaza because we're going to utterly destroy it which I don't know where they're going to go. It's not like there's a open border anywhere except into Israel, apparently. Like right. Egypt maintains a fortified border that prevents the Palestinians from going into Egypt. Israel apparently used to maintain a fortified border that prevents them from going into Israel. So, and, that, and that's why you said, you mentioned taking hostages. One of the reasons the Palestinians are so intent on taking as many Israelis hostages as possible mm-hmm. is that they are hoping that that is going to prevent the IDF from just indiscriminately carpet bombing the Gaza Strip. Right, right, right. Which is a very smart move. If I was Pal- if I was a Palestinian, I'd do the exact same thing. Yeah, and and, and so it it's a very it is a very interesting situation. But on the American front for it, you know, talking about the politicians and everything like that, we do have to point out. Um, I was told back in 2020 that we needed to have the adults be in charge because everything, supposedly everything internationally was going just absolutely terrible. Um, and so yes. we needed the adults to be back in charge. And by that, the adults being, you know, Joe Biden, Joe and the Biden. Democrats, oh, they were, Joe. they were going to come and it was going to be the adults back in charge and everything was going to be wonderful. Uh, I'm a little confused by that now. Because, um, uh, yeah, because be- it seems like everything in the world has fall is falling apart and gone to shit ever since Biden took office. It seems like every every damn conflict that could happen is happening now. I have seen well, people make here's, re- a good, here's mm-hmm. a good question: How much of the world has to be at war to <laughs> consider it a world war? 
Yeah. Because it's like if like you have Russia and China, which are going to back Iran, Israel and the Gulf states are going to be against Iran. This is the perfect pretext for an escalation that will cause a war between the Gulf states and Israel against Iran, which is going to drag Russia and China into supporting them. You already have Russia against Ukraine, where the entire West is aligned with Ukraine and Russia and increasingly China are kind of aligned against the West in Ukraine. It's like both of these are flashpoints that, I mean, both of these are flashpoints. Like World War II started with an invasion of that poor little old Poland that nobody cared about. And then next thing you know, it's like World War II. World War One was started with all these countries were kind of this system of alliance. Like we don't like the Germans and the Germans don't like the Russians and the French don't are with French or notionally with the British against the Germans. And everything was totally stable and fine until like one dude got assassinated and Russia sent troops into Serbia. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Austria-Hungary sent troops into Serbia, and then, poof, everything became... And then World War One happened, and no one was expecting it. So, there is... It seems incredible to think that this could spiral out of control into, like, a World War Three scenario. But I think that we discount that possibility uh, far too readily. When history, I believe points that it absolutely is possible things could spiral wildly out of control if we're not careful well and yeah it, what it also points to is there there is a a strange amount of instability that you know really demands an explanation and some of that is whether we like it or not the united mm-hmm. states's military might kept a lot of things at bay and that is some that is an yeah. undeniable truth and when you had somebody like trump in office there, I mean, we we saw some very historic things. We saw the Abraham Accords. We saw the meeting between North Korea and South Korea. Uh, we were, you know, we we saw basically Russia wasn't really trying to do anything too untoward as far as uh, border movements and uh, uh, saber rattling. There was not mm-hmm. a lot really going on um, in that guise. And then Joe Biden yeah. comes on the scene. And we had our massive failure with the withdrawal in Afghanistan. Uh, you see the, I mean, let's, let's just be honest. Like all of these world leaders are seeing a guy who basically has dementia, you know, is, is, is senile, you know, sitting at the helm mm-hmm. of the most powerful military in the world. And they go, oh, fuck that. Not only, not only is there no reason to be afraid of Joe Biden, because he's just a sick old man who's just surrounded with controversy and corruption. But number two, he can't do shit because his party is so insane that they they honestly can't get anything done for all of the accusations. And we're going to get into some of the other stuff um, that you know that's happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, for all the accusations that the you know Republican Party is incapable of doing anything, the Democrat party, think about it right now. There has to be a very vociferous and angry argument occurring in the Democrat party. You have the progressive squad that is 100% pro-Palestinian, but obviously you have a ton of Democrat politicians that are going to be pro-Israel. There's no way 
that there isn't a huge amount of infighting right now within the Democrat Party. The same is not going to be said for the Republican Party. It is a well-known thing that the Republican Party is going to coalesce behind Israel. There's no question on that. The only oh, debate... Sure. The only debate that's going to happen in the Republican Party, which is a normal debate for freaking anything, is yeah. should we send money? <laughs> you know, like, the debate's going to be on how send? much money do we send? Yeah. And you're going to have a normal argument that sh that happens every day amongst politicians on I don't think we should spend that much. That's a normal conversation. Yeah. That is not the conversation happening in the Democrat Party. There are the people who are behind that that support things like BDS. There are, I mean, legitimately one of the most popular or at least well-known uh, representatives in Congress is Rashida Tlaib, who's Palestinian. Certainly, she's not a fan of Israel. And no one should expect her to be, by the way. I, oh, of course. I, you know, I, th I think it's ridiculous to expect her to be. But at right. the same well, time... We're going mm -hmm. to find this very weird confluence where, just like with Ukraine, people will say, well, any kind of invasion of sovereign territory, it's so bad, look how, yep. look how awful and bad they are, blah, blah, blah. And the people on the left will go, wow, we really should support Israel. And then there's going to be a bunch of people that say, yeah, but Israel is an apartheid state that mm -hmm. oppresses the, the poor brown Palestinians. We shouldn't support Israel. Now, understand. And that's going to be a very interesting day. I think the news media is going to support Israel, and I think the very the moneyed interests behind the Democrat Party. I think they use the BDS movement as a way at, for their own purposes, but I think at their core, I think we're talking companies like BlackRock, the World Economic Forum, mm -hmm. you know, the major big. Heavily moneyed power players, I think they will come on Israel's side because they have so much more invested um, in Israel and with Israeli investors that I think they, the the powers that be behind the Democrat Party, will so end up supporting Israel. Of course. However, that is going to cause a lot of conflict because the same people they're going to ask for support have been essentially propagandized to for a long time about how awful and colonialist and Israel actually is, and you have people like Rashida Tlaib who's, who are going to cause problems with that. And it's going to be a very interesting, I think, conflict inside the Democrat Party. Well, I think it's going to create a conflict between the Democrat Party and their um, activist class. Because Oh, yes. you, yeah. You, I you, can, can you imagine how many, like, how many of the activists will go, yeah, but Israel is the big, powerful Western state oppressing the poor Arabs. Exactly. It's just like the U.S. in Iraq, blah, blah, blah. That's going to be something that they're going to have to consider. Yeah, and you're not wrong. Like, they use the term apartheid state, which is a, you know, think of it like a dog whistle, you know, or, or what have you. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a trigger term that's used for the activist class to be like, I must support this. I must support the 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 oppressed. And and 100%, yeah, there's all of these liberal groups that constantly refer to uh, Israel as an apartheid state. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. so the activists, your, you know, your uh, uh, Antifa, even some of your BLM people and all of that are going to inherently be pro-Palestinian because they have been told that Israel is an apartheid state. And so for them, that is the oppressor. They're always about fighting the oppressor. Um, and mm -hmm. so that, that it's going to be interesting to see how that conflict resolves, because 
invariably, and we're already seeing it. If you go onto social media, there, there's uh, people are having a very tough time trying to thread that needle. But before I get into some of those tweets and, and some of that, I do want to bring up something that's fun, which is uh, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of uh, Michigan. Yeah. Have you seen this? Um, have you seen her tweet I at all, Alan? I have not. So no. <laughs> you can tell. One thing that people may not know is a lot of politicians will have templated responses. That's why politicians are able to give immediate responses. And don't don't misunderstand. I do think that there are times that a memo goes out and, and politicians and media personalities are told, do this, say this. But I also mm-hmm. want you to understand that a lot of politicians and a lot of media people use the exact same public relations firms. And those public relations mm-hmm. firms will create templates. And what they do sure. is you, you go into the template and you just type in, you do a word replacement. And then you're able to shoot out what seems to be. Uh, you know, like what, what okay. looks like a regular statement. And there's a reason why there's similarities. Sometimes those similarities are because the party says, say X. But sometimes there's similarities because they all use the same company. Um, and, and I've That's seen funny. this. I've actually seen this. Uh, I've seen some of these templates in, in corporate environments and things on how to react. And a lot of times it just makes sense how to react to the death of, a, of an employee's spouse. You know, when you just have that so somebody yeah. isn't just like freewheeling it and, you know, potentially saying something that might be stupid. Um, but they also have it for politicians. Well, this is this was the tweet <laughs> that Governor Gretchen Whitmer put out. I have been in touch with communities impacted by what's happening in the region. It is abhorrent. My heart is with all those impacted. We need peace in this region. Excellent. Good. Peace in the region. The Very only nice. thing that she didn't, the only thing that she did right with this tweet was remove the brackets <laughs> that were likely around certain words that you were supposed to like do a keyword replacement. You were supposed to go in and take region and replace it with Israel. And then, yeah, like that, that would have been, that would have been the easy thing or like area of recent event. <laughs> you know, like. She forgot to take yeah. that off. And and then then of course there was a follow-up, you know, tweet that came out, which was the images that continue to come out of Israel on the anniversary of the Yom Kippur War are devastating. The loss of lives in Israel, children and families, is absolutely heartbreaking and appalling. There is no justification for violence against Israel. My support is steadfast. Like that was three hours later she had to release that statement because of how embarrassing the insert, you know, insert tragedy here, insert area of tragedy here. Uh, so it was just a really, it, it was a very entertaining uh, situation. Now, how are the typically BDS slash Israel's an apartheid state slash free Palestine uh, politicians handling it. Well, people like Cory Bush, Rashida Tlaib, AOC, all of those people from the squad, the way that they are handling it is calling for a ceasefire. That's the best that they can do because they can't stand against Israel because of the party, but they can't, and they, they certainly don't want to stand with, they don't want to be looking, they don't want to look like they're supporting Hamas. So what they're doing is demanding a ceasefire. Right. That's it. Well, that's... Which is cute. Yeah, it it's it's attempting it's attempting to sit on that fence, which, okay, you know, like, like I've said before, I don't I don't 
really have a dog in this fight. I don't. Uh, obviously, I'm not a yeah. huge fan of Islamic terrorism. But at the same time, I mean, you know, at the same time, I absolutely understand, especially when it comes to, you know, current people serving in the IDF. These are people that were born in Israel and Israel's their home, regardless of if you want to yeah. discuss the validity of it. A 23-year-old kid has lived in Israel and Israel is his home. So he's going to fight like hell. And of course he is. Similarly, Palestinians have been raised being told that, hey, over across that border, that was your home and it was taken from you. And so, and I I hate to say it, everyone, and and people don't like it this way because they want things to be simple, but it's war. And war sucks. There's no winners in a war, but war is 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 a necessary outlet of what occurs. This yeah. is it's, it, I, it, it's mm-hmm. there is a critical mass of energy on at least one side, and the Palestinians are currently expending that energy to seeing and seeing what they can get for it. And much like how America doesn't have the energy to protect our own border, we are and because of that, we're getting invaded and our land is getting taken from us because we aren't willing to expend the energy to protect it. And right. potentially Israel is, if Israel can counter this invasion with enough energy of their own, then they get to keep whatever they get to keep. And if they can want, if they desire to expend the energy to take Gaza and massacre everyone there, well, they get to do that. Well, and it, it's, it's unseemly and maybe it isn't moral, but at the end of the day, might makes right. And if you can, and whatever anyone can hold on to with violence against anyone else who wants to take it back from them. Well, that is the rules by which the world works. Well, and it this is unfortunate, is, but mm-hmm. that is it. That's how it's going to be. Yeah, and we we've, we've got to jump into some of the other subjects, but on that point, one thing that I uh, I will absolutely point out is part of the reason why this conflict has happened for so long and part of the reason why mm-hmm. it's so bloody and so violent is because of the idiocy that came post World War II where a group yes. of morons sat around a table and decided that somehow they could fight polite war and that they could manage conflict from some global scale and it's not working it's been so it's been obvious this entire time that this globalist united nations kumbaya horseshit isn't working and it's actually resulting in far more it's resulting in a far more prolonged suffering for every party involved And it's resulting in generational suffering because of this dumb fear of, well, if we let people be empirical or empires and we allow this and that and the other thing, then it's going to result in these big wars. Yes, these big wars that, yes, they're awful. They result in hundreds of thousands, if not millions of deaths that occur over a three-year period. Instead, you've created generations of suffering among people To the point where there's not a single citizen unaffected. Great job, guys. To have have a war that ends with a solid, that solidly ends, and then there's not going to be another conflict or long-standing simmering conflict forever. And that's kind of the trade-offs that we have to deal with. Yeah. All this globalist nonsense has resulted in basically generational long wars. That's exactly mm-hmm. uh, how many times has it been, Alan, that we have looked at a conflict 
And you can almost draw that line back to when the United Nations became a thing and started just drawing arbitrary lines on a map and demand and saying that this is going to be the new way that the world is going to work and everything's going to be way better and it's going to be peace because we fought the wars to end all wars. Yeah. It's and like we now have a every goddamn time. Big, yeah. It's like essentially the post-World War II world order was we have superpowers it, it, again, it wasn't peace. It was simply we're managing a potential war between superpowers, and that's more important than whatever other wars and conflicts arise, and everything has to be viewed in that guise. That ended, and now there's been this sort of effort to be like, well, the U.S. gets to, the U.S. is the sole superpower, and we get to arbitrate all world events. Well, that only lasts as long as the United States remains a, pow a powerful enough military and economic force to dictate world events and because our leaders have been so irresponsible almost intentionally so over the last few decades the united states is no longer in the same power position of world dominance that it once was and that's why all of these things are starting to pop off again yeah no 100 percent. and uh so anyway sorry um so it will be interesting uh especially to see you know we're, we're going to see all the debates and the fighting going on so there's going to be some fun hot takes uh there's going to obviously be the the normal annoying takes. so just prepare yourself for people that you know you kind of thought were going to be you know anti-interventionist anti you know world police uh I, I actually almost feel for them because they're sort of left with no choice. Now, granted, yeah. I don't know. I have a feeling. I'll put it this way. I have a feeling that this isn't really that a lot of this is just bluster and, you know, statements and rhetoric because I, I don't think that Israel is going to need a lot of help. I, I think Israel is going to go yeah. do what it's going to do, and then this is just going to kind of go away. I don't think that this is going to become widely protracted. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the United States isn't going to send a bunch of money, but it would be interesting if sure. they did. I almost wish, I'm not wishing for human suffering here, but I almost wish that this doesn't get solved quickly because what I really want to see is I want to watch the Ukraine files get into a fight with the Israel files over which, like who's, who's our you know prodigal son of financing because uh, Israel's going to win. Yeah. Israel will win. Like Ukraine, Ukraine's all nice and all, and the defense companies, you know, the defense companies really love uh, getting all the money that they're getting out of Ukraine. And of course, you know, Joe Biden mm -hmm. wants to protect his money laundering scheme, as do the other politicians. But at the sure. same time, like they won't survive if they don't support Israel. So every dollar that goes to Israel yeah. is a dollar that doesn't go to Ukraine. And so I think it's hilarious. I agree. There's also an element of the West's stockpiles of munitions have been run almost dry by supporting Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I am not sure how much we can aid can actually be provided to Israel if they need it. Yeah. Like, are there a bunch, there's all this stuff has to be made in factories that we conveniently don't really have anymore. Hilariously. Uh, well, so because they like, were hurting we the make, environment. Right. <laughs> are we able to make enough artillery shells to supply our own needs, refill our stockpiles, supply Ukraine and Israel? What about fighter jets? What about tanks? What about munitions? All of these things are have been stressed to the limit simply by supplying our own forces that what's going to happen when we hit that actual logistical barrier of military factories in the West can only produce so much material there and that is less than what is necessary. 
I can't. I don't think the West is going to pull some sort of crazy rearmament scheme that would conflict with all the climate change stuff. That would in, that would empower American workers in the areas that they're intentionally trying to demographically replace. So there were our rulers are left with an unenviable choice of I can either make things better in my country, which empowers the people that I hate the most, or I can support all of these things that are required to maintain control of the American empire. Right. Well, and, you know, uh, with, with that, of course, you know, there are some very good right wing takes that we've also seen coming from the situation, like what Alan pointed out earlier, where you can talk a lot about, well, first of all, private firearm ownership, of course. But then border, yep. border security, this is a this is a perfect use case for why border security is extremely important. And yep. we, you know, we have had terrorists come across the southern border. That's a known fact that has been found. But then there was a very interesting situation where, um, believe it or so this is funny because I did, did some reading on it. I saw a lot of the takes. The takes that you guys, uh, that, that people in the audience you guys may have seen, uh, would be that uh, Biden was about to build a border wall because of everything that's going on with immigration. But then uh, Mayorkas came out and said that he was going to build a wall, but then said that the uh, uh, administration doesn't support a wall. And there was almost seemingly like a retraction. Well, that's not actually what happened. This is one of the rare situations. And the reason why it seems very confusing is the media is trying to hide the lead because mm. and this is something that I think we, we may actually really need to pay a, a lot more attention to because I, I've realized that the media would do a very good job of hiding these things. This is actually a massive victory for Republicans, specifically the Trump administration and the GOP Congress. Believe it or not, the actual situation that is going on here, um, when it when it comes to why you heard last week that Biden was going to start constructing a border wall, but then Mayorkas, the DHS secretary, was like, the administration doesn't support building a border wall. Well, the reason why that's happening is this. The administration is legally required to construct the border wall, according to Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. We had no choice. Quote, it was mandated by law. We requested that Congress rescind the direction. It did not do so. We, of course, must follow the law. Our, uh, our policy remains as it was since day one, we are opposed to the construction of the wall. Biden pledged during his 2020 presidential campaign. By the way, this comes from uh, ABC News. But uh, during his 2020 presidential campaign against then-President Trump, that his administration would not build another foot of wall. But Department of Homeland Security is required to use funds appropriated in 2019 on border barrier construction a customs and border protection sp spokesperson said in a statement on Thursday. Construction plans from customs and border protection describe an 18-foot portable barrier different from the 30-foot Ballard design used during much of the Trump administration. Trump's design at times required blowing up land uh, to lay foundation for the wall, uh, as ABC News reported back in 2020. CPB, CPB, 
BP remains committed to protecting the nation's cultural and natural resources and will implement sound environmental practices as part of the project covered by this waiver, the spokesman said. So what actually happened is the Biden administration absolutely has to construct the 20-foot barrier. They have to do it by law. They had to waive 18 different federal regulations to do it, but it is because the in 2019 the the resolution got passed for that money to be appropriated to the construction of a 20-foot barrier and the biden administration has zero choice other than to construct it and they had to waive a bunch of environmental regulations to do so that's pretty funny and so that is a very serious win and because one of the one of the bigger problems and we're going to we're going to talk about the speaker of the house and things like that you know and, and that vote one of the bigger problems that we have in the GOP is we talk about them being a do nothing congress there should actually be something to be said for well how would we find out whether they i mean part of it is their communication 100% true but it's like how would we know if they did anything it's not like the media would tell us that there was a republican victory especially That's a very good point especially one like this this is a huge victory and a very good. This does show that some good things really do happen and we never hear about them. Because yeah. I wasn't, you know, if I think about it, I was obviously demanding a wall in 2019 like everybody else was. You know, build the build the wall, do it, do it, do it. And we always heard about how Trump didn't build the wall and he didn't do this and that. But there was something that happened. And it happened in Congress. At some point, Congress did appropriate funds. I know it's only 20 feet of wall. But the point is, is that they did appropriate funds and it hamstrung the Biden administration. A Democrat administration that is against building a wall is legally required to do so. Is it 20 feet laterally or horizontally or uh, vertically or horizontally? I don't actually know. It seems like you would be building more than 20 feet I mean, Wide. you're right, but I don't know. I have no idea how long it is. I, I bet it, I, I would imagine it's a 20 foot tall board that extends across a certain uh, area. Yeah, that that makes sense. They just keep, yes. I just see, keep seeing it referred to as a 20 foot wall. You're right. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I would rather see it in miles. I have no idea what, what expanse this is, but they have to do it. They're required. So the Biden administration is going to have to put mm-hmm. up a wall after he said he wasn't going to do it, after AOC sobbed at a wall, apparently, like, but they have to do it. And that's that's hilarious. I think that's great, especially after it was the same administration that tried to use some obscure maritime law to make it to where Texas couldn't put floating barriers out in the Rio Grande. They're that committed yeah. to our country being overrun at its border. That somebody had to do the mm-hmm. work. Somebody had to actually do the work to try to find a, a law. Because nobody knew that off the top of their head. Nobody knows obscure maritime law for shits and giggles on how you can, you know, there, there's not somebody who sits there that's just waiting for someone to try to put a floaty barrier up and is like, ah, my time has come. That that person doesn't exist. Somebody got tasked with yeah. find a federal law that we can use to stop Texas from protecting its border. That's what happened. Yes, exactly. That's how that went down. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. to be honest, you know, as as I mentioned, there's 
I'm going to caveat this. I honestly, I, I, people are far more committed to debating what went down with Speaker McCarthy being fired. And he's now former Speaker McCarthy. Um, there was a no confidence vote that occurred in Congress and McCarthy was removed as the Speaker of the House because eight Republicans uh, voted with every Democrat, of course, because that's how that's going to work. Um, but Andy Biggs of Arizona, Ken Buck of Colorado, Tim Burchett of Tennessee, Eli Crane of Arizona, Matt Gates of Florida, Bob Good of Virginia, Nancy Mace of South Carolina, and Matt Rosendell of Montana all voted to have Kevin McCarthy removed as Speaker of the House. And mm -hmm. at the same time, remember, it took like 15 votes for Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker of the House because there was a contingent mm -hmm. of Republicans that didn't want him to be Speaker, that didn't trust in him to be able to do the job. At the same time, what I find most alarming is for months now, if not longer, it was extremely normal for every right-wing commentator, every podcast host, radio host, columnist, to shit on McCarthy. McCarthy was God awful. And that was the one thing we in the GOP during a primary season all agreed with. In fact, I can prove it because the two top, um, the two top campaigns, the Trump campaign and the DeSantis campaign would go through no, uh, no undue effort to pin McCarthy to their, op to the opposition's candidate. You would have DeSantis supporters mm -hmm. talking about how Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump endorsed Kevin McCarthy and endorsed Kevin McCarthy after the third vote. And so, so Kevin McCarthy belonged to Trump. It's Trump's fault. Kevin McCarthy is Trump's fault. And then other people would turn around and say that Kevin McCarthy wants a president DeSantis because he's a rhino neocon just like him. So everybody hated McCarthy. Yeah. Every single person hated McCarthy. Until Kevin McCarthy was removed as speaker and suddenly I saw certain uh, certain people, certain personalities on the right do 180 and it was like it was like the Republican Party got rid of the most the most uh, effectual and greatest Republican on the planet, Kevin McCarthy. My god, we're we're so screwed. The Democrats have now won because Kevin McCarthy, golden boy of conservatism has been removed as Speaker of the House. And I'm sitting here going, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Because two months ago, we'll say, we'll, we'll set it as two months. Two months ago, not a single Republican would have said, God, I'm glad Kevin McCarthy's the Speaker of the House. Not one. Right. But now that he's been removed, yeah. everyone's upset. And we know why, and it's for the stupidest reason, and it's one of the reasons why I absolutely hate the GOP. Optics. Op yep. Nailed it, buddy. Right there. Oh, it looks bad. So Kevin McCarthy's shit. Everyone agrees that he is shit. Everyone agrees that he's terrible. But now Democrats can say mean things. So we should... You should keep this steaming pile of shit... Or else the Democrats win. That's the argument that I've seen all week, all damn week. 
from people like Mark Levin and Ben Shapiro and all these other people is we should have kept this steaming pile of shit that they themselves have agreed was a steaming pile of shit. Should have kept him or else the Democrats win. And, and win what is, is always my question. Well, they, they don't need to go any further, Alan. They just have to say that and then all the boomers agree. Right. A bunch of people that will never vote Republican now have another reason to never vote Republican. And a bunch of Republicans have a reason to continue voting Republican. Yeah. I fail to see how any of this is really that big of an issue. No, and you're absolutely right. And people are going to try to rationalize it. See, they're going to claim you're being flippant and you just don't understand. But that's not true. That's not true. We do understand. Mm -hmm. This doesn't matter at all all McCarthy sucked mm -hmm. one of the one of the guarantees that Kevin McCarthy made to the contingent of people that weren't voting for him initially for speaker the reason why I took 15 votes was that believe it or not this long ago Matt Gates is actually fairly smart regardless of what you think of him as a person and whether you think that this is all just theater and attention grabbing and whatever that there's some validity to that but he was smart. Matt Gates was smart when Kevin McCarthy was running for speaker because Matt Gates said, I do not want to go through a budget crisis. What are you going to do mm -hmm. to ensure we don't go through a budget crisis and have to pass a continuing resolution? Because of course that was going to happen right. because it always happens. And the response that Kevin McCarthy gave was he promised that he would put 12 appropriations bills through to avoid a budget crisis. Well, obviously that didn't happen because we had to sign a continuing resolution. Now, mm -hmm. the continuing resolution is dumb. It, it extends everything for 35 days. Don't come at me with how much was reduced in this continuing resolution. And really it's actually, no, it's a continuing resolution. It's Congress not doing its goddamn basic job. The House of Representatives has really one job and that's the budget the appropriation of money they control the purse and basically for the majority of my life they've been shit at it and haven't been doing their job so i don't want to hear it i don't care Fair how enough. good i don't care how good the st i don't give a shit how good the bubble gum and duct tape on the leak is i'm mad that there's the leak mm -hmm. fix the fucking leak don't come, don't come at me and tell me, oh, well, Kevin McCarthy's really good because he used this type of duct tape on the leak. Oh, so is the leak like sealed? Oh, no, in 35 days, it's going to spring out again, but we should be really excited that Kevin put bubblegum on it. Like, I'm not going to do why that. why do I want the government, why wouldn't I want the government to shut down? Oh, that's, that's, yeah. What, why do I give a shit? They shut us yeah. down for two well, years. Why do I, I give a shit? Oh, no. Oh, they might furlough federal employees? Yeah, I think you should furlough a lot of Good. federal employees. Let's start with the FBI. Yeah. Like, I don't like the government. I want them all to go away. I want the whole thing to shut down. So I, I guess that, that I, I'm just surprised and made that I'm clearly in the minority of Republicans <laughs> when I look at the government and go, keeping all of these people employed and up and working is absolutely a priority for me. I don't care. Why would I want that? And I just, 
that's just surprising. I don't know. I don't know what Republicans are out there demanding that the government stay open and running, because I don't know any of them that are necessarily all that thrilled with the job the government's doing. Like, why would I want the Biden administration more effective at doing anything? No, and that's yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Yeah, like why? Well, and everyone's going to go like, oh, but these these poor people, like you know, the the troops aren't going to get paid. You yeah. we we talked about this the last the last show we had a couple weeks ago. You could pay the troops. You 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 can also, choose to do it because they protected. They protected uh, Ukraine yeah. funding. But anyway, go on. What were you going to say? Yeah, I, I would say don't pay the troops. Don't pay anybody, mm-hmm. and make it as painful as possible so that you're forced to actually pass a realistic budget that gets us what we as Republicans want. It's like hold the troops hostage. That's good. Fine. Do that. If that's what you need to do to force this issue, then that's worth it. Like, I I don't know. I, I guess that's that's my take on it. Maybe that's wrong, but... It seems like if you made it as painful as possible to keep the government shut down a second longer, then that's the leverage you need. That's the leverage you can use to force the Democrats to do what you want. And that's the whole point. Well, right. And that's exactly it is it's just, yeah, it should be painful. It should be painful. And it should, at the end of the day, they, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll just put it out. I think Kevin McCarthy wanted this to happen. He didn't actually fight to keep his position. He could have made a deal with the Democrats and said, can you get me eight people or nine people that will vote to keep me? Because, yeah, Mm -hmm. Hakeem Jeffries probably would have been like, sure, make sure that there's funding for X or drop this out of your budget. Like, if you can get this out of your budget, then I will make sure that you remain a speaker. They could have made that deal. 100%. Sure. There's like, mm-hmm. I mean, the Democrats kind of don't care. It wouldn't have hurt them any. And if they could get some concessions on the budget, they absolutely would have. Kevin McCarthy didn't try to make a deal. Now, some of that's because politically it would have made him look like an idiot, um, you know, and then he would have been a speaker that had to deal with the Democrats to make sure to keep his position. So he didn't. He didn't fight at all to maintain his mm-hmm. position. He didn't make a deal at all. And so and for all those people that are like, well, but all those people voted with the Democrats. Uh, yeah, you're kind of an idiot. Of course, the Democrats voted to remove Kevin McCarthy. They think this is hilarious. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Agreed. I'm sorry, but the GOP needs to have a fucking wake up call. This is, I guess this is what bothers me so much about this. I don't really care about the particulars of the debate when it comes to the speaker and everything. It's amazing to me that I finally saw the Republican Party do something that I was certain every voter supported. Voters do not like Congress right now. They've historically not liked Congress for a very long time. Everybody shits Mm -hmm. on Kevin McCarthy. All of the voters do not like that the GOP seems exceedingly ineffective. They finally did something. The GOP did something that it looks like the voters would support. And what happens? All the commentators and all the politicians are in they're pissed and they're screeching about how this is awful and terrible and stupid and anyone who did it's a traitor i am telling you right now yeah i'm telling you right now i think it's great all the voters support the idea of kevin mccarthy getting ousted or at least they did 
And now they're getting memed into not because people like Ben Shapiro and Mark Levin and, you know, Fox News are all, you know, getting their fainting couches out and talking about how embarrassing it is because, oh, no, the liberals are going to make fun of us. It's so stupid. I think every Republican representative should be scared. You should be terrified right now. You should be afraid of what can happen to you. You should be afraid of losing your position every goddamn day because you'll work hard to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired of this establishment business as usual nonsense that's coming out of this, this Congress. And like, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really funny because actually one of the pushbacks that I saw was from, um, Stephen Miller. Uh, I can't remember who he writes for. Um, but I saw a tweet from it where, uh, they, they were talking about something with Biden. And of course he's mad that the speaker got ousted too, because that's the party line. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, we should impeach Biden over this. Oh, wait, we can't. Great job, guys, you know, because the speaker got ousted. So now you can't impeach Biden because Kevin McCarthy Why was well, because there's no speaker right now. So there's no there's no caucus. The, the caucus can't okay. be properly directed because they're too busy. They're too busy trying to figure out who the speaker of the house is. Uh, they can elect a new speaker. Well, right. And then we yes, can impeach but it, Biden. So yeah, it's not like that's off the table. Well, more appropriate to that you're right it's not like it's off the table but at the same time oh i'm sorry was mccarthy really jumping at impeaching biden because because remind me alan how many months has it been that we've had a shitload of evidence of his corruption uh a good bit and it just was like it just keeps mounting it was just two weeks ago that they finally that kevin mccarthy finally went okay now we're going to open an impeachment inquiry yeah. Oh, right. So so we should have kept McCarthy because he totally was going to impeach Biden because he's totally been on that bandwagon working real hard for it, huh? That's yeah. what I hate about this. No. It's so gay and dumb. They're going to make it right. sound like we can't get the things we want now because we got rid of this guy that wasn't giving us the things we wanted anyway. Yes. And that's what I find very silly about the whole thing. It's well, like I don't. I don't really care about the speaker thing because it's not like they were going to do anything productive with it anyway. Well, and at the same time, I, I did mention, I mentioned the 12 appropriations bills. Those weren't passed. That that was mm-hmm. that was part of the deal. Part of the deal was get these 12, I, I, and I may, might be misspeaking, I think there were 12 appropriations bills, but it was like, get those passed. He didn't. They had to do a continuing resolution. Therefore, he didn't do the thing that he said he would do as part of the deal for him to get the votes he needed to be speaker. Well, he didn't do that. Well, and the excuse that I've Mm -hmm. heard from all these right-wingers are like, well, it's not his fault. The reason why he couldn't do it was because Democrats were holding it up in committee. Oh. Oh. Okay. So the Democrats won. Neat. So he's not that good. He's not that good at his job. Mm-hmm. Democrats were able to, the minority party was able to hold up his agenda. That means he's weak because when Democrats yeah. are in the minority, do you ever see them really getting held up? Do you ever see them having contentious fights? Do you ever see anything like this on the Democrat side when they're in the minority? No. Nope. 
because they're super powerful in the minority. Hell, look at it. They held up all of his appropriations bills. Well, it's because he had a yeah. slim majority. Dude, when Democrats have a slim majority in the House, they're able to do everything they want. So something's yeah. wrong. Either the Republicans are super weak or the Democrats are super apt. Either way, Republicans are losing every time. If there's a slim mm -hmm. minority of Democrats, Republicans lose. If there's a slim majority of Democrats, Republicans lose. Uh, every time the answer is Republicans lose. Well, you suck. Something needs to change. This is a change. So, sorry, yeah. that was a whole long-winded response for... I absolutely support the ouster of Kevin McCarthy, and I don't give a shit what you say about it. The Republicans yeah, have not I been think, doing well. I want them scared. Yeah, I think a lot of Republican voters agree with you, or yeah. at least would agree with your assessment. I think they have. I think a lot of Republican voters who have a very hard time arguing against uh, are arguing against you on this. Yeah. And when people say like, well, having McCarthy being replaced is a win for the Democrats. It was a win for the Democrats anyway, yeah. because they were the reason he got replaced. He wasn't able to do the thing he needed to do to keep his job because re Democrats outsmarted him. Yeah. Yeah. Simple as that. I want people who don't get outsmarted by the Democrats. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Bye, well, McCarthy. I guess I'm not, I, I won't say that the government... And I guess my final thought is the government wasn't running so incredibly well with him as speaker that this is in any way going to be that big of a detriment. <laughs> it's like, now what? The the Democrats are going to win more? I don't know. It's all it's yeah, all like, really oh dumb. Oh no! Like well, or and it's not like it. We lose. That's uh, it's it's. I think it's ter termed in they win, we lose. It's, I don't know if it's necessarily. I don't know if it's necessarily that. Yeah, I don't get the feeling like I don't get the feeling like we were winning so much with McCarthy that we're going to be losing now. What if we I think get that whoever's replacement is might mm -hmm. be a better fit, might be a better more of what we want. What if we get like a, a Jim Jordan or a Chip Roy as Speaker of the House Trump. or Donald Trump? Yeah, because that was floated, too. Um, I don't I think he's would love to see that because it would be hilarious. It, it would be absolutely hilarious. But what if we do like, like in a in a theoretical? I have no idea how it's going to go down. I, I like I said, I haven't really cared about this because it's just annoyed me um, because I think mm -hmm. it's gay that people who absolutely talked about how terrible McCarthy is suddenly are huge McCarthy fans. Um, what if it is somebody like Chip Roy, who is someone who does. I, I, I know that if you're a Trump supporter, you're not allowed to like Chip Roy anymore because, I don't know, fucking reasons, uh, because of dumb gay primary prom. But, like, Chip mm. Roy is a very aggressive representative. What if we got somebody like that and he was able to fight back and he was able to do great legislation and outfox, you know, a lot of these people or somebody like uh, Jim Jordan, who's been fantastic in committees and has, has done some you know, very exceptional things, at least in getting Democrats to admit to malfeasance that has resulted in investigation. I mean, he is one of the people that's been leading these impeachment investigations, you know, and, and stuff like that. So what if we had someone like that and they turned out to be great? Are these commentators going That'd to turn great. around and say thank you to Matt Gates? Absolutely not, sure. but they should. Yeah, And that's something we should keep an eye on. When this mm -hmm. new speaker, which... Who the hell knows who it's going to be? Might be might be somebody great. Could be somebody garbage. I don't really care. I think it's awesome. 
I, I, I just, I really want to see how it goes. It would be awesome if suddenly we found the trick that we needed and got our own, I don't know, Nancy Pelosi. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ways that someone can win, or at least what I would like to see, I'm not saying that we're going to see this, is there was the whole Jamal Bowman issue where Jamal Bowman pulled a fire alarm. We all know why. I don't care what his excuse was. He did it to delay the vote on the continuing resolution. Democrats did not want to have to pass that continuing resolution because they wanted the government to shut down. Well, number one, it was Ukraine funding was the big contingency there. Democrats absolutely wanted to see a bunch of Ukraine funding because they need Ukraine to be funded so they can't, so nobody can find out about, you know, uh, 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 Biden and likely a bunch of other elected representatives laundering of money through Ukraine. So uh, that's right. that's that's the blackmail. You're going to have to continue to give billions of dollars to corrupt oligarchs or else they're going to spill the beans on all of your money laundering. Well, that wasn't going to be part of this continuing resolution. So to delay it, there needed to be a delay so the House so the House Democrats could get the so the Senate bill could get passed and then House Democrats could push to vote on the Senate bill instead of the continuing resolution that was written in the House that didn't have Ukraine funding. And then yeah. suddenly, for no reason at all, Representative Jamal Bowman of New York pulled a fire alarm, which caused the evacuation of Congress in an attempt to delay the vote. Mm-hmm. What a dick. I think it's obviously it's a little childish, but it is a tactic. It is a tactic. I might, I might want to remind you that one time during a vote in the House of Representatives, Representative Abraham Lincoln, who was exceptionally tall, you may know, did mm-hmm. not want to have a vote on a certain bill. I don't recall what the bill was, but because he was exceptionally okay. tall, he was able to open a window in Congress and then basically lift other representatives up so they could, because they locked, they barred the door. He was able to lift other representatives up. So they were able to sneak out a window and resulting in the house, not being able to come to quorum and vote on a certain bill. That's hilarious. People celebrate that as a great thing. So obstructing votes is not viewed as necessarily a, an all around bad thing. You know, because that's something that I know that's something I know about Abraham Lincoln, right? So because it was a big like ah ha 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 and it was it probably was some bill having to do with slavery or something. So mm-hmm. these things happen. Point is there's procedural law and then you find a way to get around procedural law. Well, he had a building be evacuated in hopes that it would delay long enough that the Senate would be able to get their bill done um and then put forward. I don't believe that that ended up happening. Uh, but there's another name for what he did. And it's called obstruction of an official proceeding. I don't agree that this should be some sort of punishable act because I think it's silly. But Democrats do think that it should be a punishable. Sorry, I had to sneeze. Um, But Democrats do believe that it should be a punishable act. In fact, so much so that they charged a bunch of people on January 6th with it. People have gotten years in prison. Oh, for obstruction yeah. of an official proceeding. It's a felony. Mm-hmm. Well, rules are rules. Jamal Bowman yeah. must be charged with obstruction of an official proceeding. If he's not, 
then every single person from January 6th who has that charge must have their charges dropped. Or otherwise, otherwise, Democrats have to completely acknowledge that there is a two-tier justice system. It's simple as that. Because this guy pulled a fire alarm, which is by far more aggressive than people wandering into the fucking Capitol. Very true. So I don't know what to tell y'all. It there there better be at least there better be at least one lawyer that's able to fight that and say if this guy doesn't go to jail, if this guy doesn't go to jail, then every single January six person needs to have their charges dropped. I don't understand how it's not that simple. And if somebody wants to, if somebody tells me that it actually truly isn't that simple, then our justice system is broken because I don't understand how it can't be that simple. Right. Like, okay, if that representative doesn't go to jail on a felony charge, then none of those people can be in jail for that. Because mm-hmm. it's, oh, sure. it's the same fucking thing. And well, and we said this when there was the whole Tennessee three, those guys that had all those protesters come in screaming and shouting so they couldn't vote on something. Same thing. Since those dudes didn't go to now that state level, so that is that is where it gets contentious. But this isn't. This is in Washington D.C. It's the exact same Congress that was interfered with. It's in the exact same jurisdiction, and it would be the exact same prosecutor. So if the if the uh, uh, if the district attorney of Washington, D.C. does not charge and, and the Capitol Police, if they don't charge this mm-hmm. guy, they have to drop all the charges against the people for January 6th. Otherwise, two-tier justice system, you're acknowledging it. What happens if they acknowledge it? Then I say that every Republican obstructs every single vote that they don't want to go through with. Mm-hmm. That's it, because now they can't charge it. Oh sure, Ble- uh, I would imagine. I would hopefully lawyers for the January six people yes are paying attention to this and then make a case for it. Well, and that's that what they're, I'm- they're they did receive an acquittal because this is because clearly this behavior is okay. And that's what I mean when I say that they acknowledge it. Like I I know what you mean. The idea of like they're like, "Well, yep, he's not going to get charged with it." And then you just what are we supposed to do? Shrug our shoulders. That's not exactly how the law works. Now, it gets rough because this is this is something that would take a very long time. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Is yes, on acquittal, you now have this. This guy wasn't charged by the exact same police force. He wasn't tried by the exact same district attorney. You know, he wasn't tried in the exact same court for literally the exact same crime. Um, Obviously, you know, the D.C. Circuit Court's going to be like, well, it's different for reasons. They're almost certainly going Hmm. to do that. So then you have to put it to the appellate court. And then the appellate court has to go, well, it's different for reasons then it does go to the Supreme yeah. Court. And unfortunately, right. because yep. of the way that these things are, because of January 6th and all the gayness behind it, there's a person rotting in jail this entire time. Mm-hmm. Which is an absolute abortion of justice. Like I yeah. said, because we have all the primary prom stuff going on, like I said, and 
I'm, I know people are going to try to tell me that this has happened, and I don't think you understand what I mean. The person who's going to get my vote in this primary is the one that says that they are going to um, pardon every single person from January 6th. That's the person. Yeah, if if somebody wants to get my vote great. immediately, it's that it's that guy. That guy, the guy who does that, gets my vote immediately. People will tell me Trump said it. No, he didn't. He said, you know, anyone who didn't break a law. There's too many caveats that are being put on to a lot of this, these things, you know, or yeah. people who didn't like commit violence. You know, there, there's too much of this like, well, I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to absolve somebody who, who like punched a cop. Well, fuck those cops. Sure. Like, yeah. I, I support police officers, but I don't support every fucking police officer. Certainly don't support the Capitol Police who are in on the whole Reichstag fire of January 6th. Yeah, I don't like, support. I don't they're support just as much traitors as the Democrats. I don't support the Capitol Police officers who threw flashbangs and tear gas grenades into a crowd that wasn't doing anything to cause them to surge forward so they could start beating them. Yeah. Because right. I've seen the video. That's exactly what happened. Fuck them. Mm -hmm. They murdered people. Yeah, Ashley Babbitt, Air Force veteran, was shot in the throat. Yeah, there was that a woman that was like... Never was gonna they, there was a woman that got basically issues. got beaten to death in the tunnels. Yeah. And then take, a, take all the abuse these people have suffered at the hands of more police officers during, the, during their whole incarceration in the gulag in D.C.? Yeah. Screw them. Like, yeah. It's... it's we're rapidly coming into a like friend it's friend versus enemy and those people are those officers have chosen a side and that side is not my side yeah no it, it, exactly it so yeah no i don't care like yeah i i think i think that the uh <laughs> if you want to know my real opinion on it it's the people's house and anyone who is blocking an american citizen from going into the house that represents them uh that person's the enemy and you deserve to get punched in the face and for all of the people that are like, well, they were protecting the representatives. I don't think the representatives should be protected from the people. They're not an aristocratic class. If you're afraid of being hurt by your constituents, don't be shitty. Right. Like, yeah, yeah you, you should have at least some ostensible security. Sure, because there are crazies out there. But you don't get to activate an entire police force to keep your voters from being able to uh, levy their grievances. You don't yeah. get to have a police force to protect you from the people who put you there and pay your salary. Fuck that. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you all get it. Now, there were a couple of other things, too. So uh, at the same time, by the way, while Republicans or not Republicans, while Democrats are pulling fire alarms and obstructing justice and doing all this other nonsense, we're going to do a little bit of a segment that I like to call you get what you vote for. <laughs> so I don't have a stinger for this or any sort of thing, but it's definitely a you get what you vote for situation. So there's three different stories uh, that we get to pile under the you get what you vote for. The story number one is that Democrat representative uh, Henry, uh, I think it's pronounced Quaylar, CR, I don't know, whatever, Quaylar, I'm going to say it that way, was carjacked mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C., 
So Democrat Representative uh, Henry Quaylar was carjacked in Washington, D.C.'s Navy Yard neighborhood on Monday evening, Politico reported, citing three people familiar with the situation. So he was carjacked. Three armed men came up on came up on his vehicle, pointed guns at him, and told him to get out of the car, and they left with his vehicle. So he was carjacked Sucks in Washington, D.C. Because Washington, by the way, Washington, D.C., this is the best part. Washington, D.C. slackened the sentencing for the exact crime of carjacking um, a couple of years a couple of years ago, and there was a bill because Congress has special dispensation within Washington D.C. There was a bill in Congress that was put to revoke that, to revoke that slimming of of uh, charges, and Henry Quaylar and all okay. other Democrats voted against it. So you get what you vote for. And there's surging crime, of course, in Washington, D.C., and the district attorney, or I'm, I'm sorry, what, whatever the term is for him, the the attorney, it might be district attorney. I don't think that's the exact title. I can't remember what the term, what, mm-hmm. um, the state attorney of D.C., whoever it is. Um, he, yeah, there is no district attorney. There's like a, 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 there's a different one, and I can't remember what the position is because it's like escaping me, and I'm sorry. Um, but the the attorney that uh, presides over Washington D.C. because they do not have a district attorney because they don't have a governor, um, or an, I'm sorry, an attorney general. That's what I meant. They don't have an attorney general because they don't have a governor. So the presiding federal attorney over Washington D.C. is somebody who doesn't believe in bail, and is one of those Soros backed you know, progressive garbage people. And so he basically isn't prosecuting like 60% of violent crimes that come across his desk, unless of course they have to do with January 6th. So you get what you fucking vote for Democrats. My bad. At the same time, there was the other situation that's been very popular, which is that there was this uh, liberal activist who got Mm -hmm. murdered in New York. And uh, stabbed in the street. Yeah, like st- stabbed in the street. And this is uh, the gentleman's name is um, is uh, Ryan. Sorry, Ryan Carson. And yeah, Ryan so. Carson. So early Monday morning, 32 year old Ryan Carson was stabbed to death at a bus stop in Bedford Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn. He and his girlfriend were on their way home from a wedding. She was forced to helplessly watch as a deeply disturbed stranger repeatedly plunged a knife into her partner's chest. Now, we're not seeing the news. Disturbed, huh? We're not seeing the news here being about the fact that it was like deranged man stabs guy to death. Uh, In fact, it's it's a conservative pounce story. The headline that I just looked up from the uh, uh, from New York Magazine is "Deranged Conservatives Celebrate Ryan Carson's Murder." Oh, yeah. Do they know? So, huh. what's amazing about it is it was an eighteen an eighteen year old man has been arrested for the stabbing, but it gets super weird. Because if I'm not mistaken, the um, sorry, the uh, 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 girlfriend did she refuse to talk to police? 
Um, I believe she refused to give a um, description of the suspect. Yeah, I just want to get that exact thing. Um, all right, here. Yeah, the, the girlfriend of murder in Brooklyn activist fails to pick out stabbing suspect and photo lineup as legal experts warn it could potentially uh, it could be potentially crippling uh, to prosecution's case. Claudia Morales, the girlfriend of social activist Ryan Thornson Carson was unable to identify the suspect who stabbed her boyfriend to death. Brooklyn prosecutor Jordan Roseman said during Dowling's arraignment Thursday night that Carson's girlfriend mispicked his alleged killer. So it's like the girlfriend of murdered social justice activist Ryan Thornson Carson failed to pick the stabbing suspect out of a photo lineup as legal experts warned it could be potentially. She was unable to identify Brian Dowling, the 18-year-old teen who allegedly stabbed her boyfriend to death outside the B-46 train stop this morning. Brooklyn prosecutor Jordan Rossman said during Dowling's arraignment Thursday evening at the Brooklyn C Criminal Court that Carson's girlfriend, a witness to the slaying, mispicked his alleged killer when she was shown a group of photographs. Some of the photos were retrieved from surveillance footage that captured the deadly stabbing. Roseman said she picked a different person than the defendant out of a photo array. A police official said Morales remains traumatized by the incident and has had difficulty recounting basic things. I had seen something somewhere, and I'm sorry that I wasn't able to pull this because uh, we were debating whether or not we'd have the time to cover it. Um, but I had thought... Uh, I thought that she was being kind of obstructive because there was a lot of people sharing the fact that it was like, yeah, this woman is like, you know, she, she's the whole like a cab. All cops are bastards. She's a huge like anti. Um, yeah, she's like anti-police. That's yeah, you're right. Yeah. So here it is. Girlfriend of stabbing victim Ryan Carson refused to describe attacker to police. So, okay. So yeah. that, that is true. So now that she's, she's failing to pick him out of a lineup. Now, is she really failing to pick him out of a lineup or is she refusing to do so? Cause they would look the hard same, to know. but yeah, it's hard to know, right. but they would look the same. There's so many weird things that's like, so this dude got stabbed. I'm not saying that this happened, but like, to me, this is how it looked at first. Cause I'd only caught glimpses of this, but this guy gets stabbed to death. And his girlfriend's like a huge anti-police person and all this other nonsense. She had her like her freaking license plate is K marks, like all this other stuff. So they're they're fucking commies. Um, and then she refuses to even describe the suspect who stabbed her boyfriend to death in front of her okay. to the police. And to me, I was like, yeah. I know I read a lot of mysteries and I really like mysteries, but like. My first suspicion would be, okay, we need to see whether or not she paid somebody to murder her boyfriend. Yeah. Because she's being that obstructive. Ridiculously. Now, am I saying that that's, mm -hmm. that that's what happened? Not necessarily. She could just be an idiot leftist. She could be so dumb and have drank so much of the liberal Kool-Aid that she literally will let a person who stabbed her boyfriend to death get away with it because she's been brainwashed by morons and communists into basically saying like, well, I don't want the guy who just murdered someone I love to go to jail because then the fucking Nazis win. Yeah. 
Like, then, then the racists will win. Oh, and by the way, the best part, uh, when they when they arrested the guy, CBS News blurred out his face. Hilarious. They blurred out his face because, well, it's a bad narrative when a black guy stabs a white liberal activist. So, but mm-hmm. I hate to say it, you know, you're sitting out there after a wedding, you're hanging out, you're in your nice fine clothes. You're an activist for indigenous peoples and all this other progressive bullshit. And then you get stabbed to death. You get what you vote for. And that's, by the way, what the media says when they say that, you know, these conservatives are celebrating the death of Ryan Carson. No, we're not. We're mourning the death of Ryan Carson. The problem that we have is we told him and his friends for years that this would happen. We didn't want this to happen, but every single one of the people who supposedly loved this man did everything in their power to ensure that this happened to him. Yeah. So, sorry guys, I don't know what to tell you. It's the sa- it's the same thing as, you know, you tell a kid all the time that they can't have candy for dinner, but then some other mm-hmm. group of people comes in and gives them a bunch of candy for dinner. You can only be so sad when the kid's throwing up and sick and complaining that their stomach hurts because they ate candy for dinner. I'm going to feel bad for you, of course, but I'm also going to tell you that I was fucking right. (laughs) So, anyway. Yes. The third installment of You Get What You Vote For is my favorite because I think that this is going to hit people in a different sense. So I'll, I'll read the New York Post version of this story, which is Airbnb guest from hell squatting at home for oh, 500 dear. days wants owner to pay $100,000. An Airbnb guest dubbed the tenant from hell has been squatting in a luxurious guest house overlooking the hills of Los Angeles for more than a year and a half and is refusing to leave unless the homeowner pays her uh, $100,000 relocation fee. Elizabeth Hirschhorn rented a long-term stay at Sasa Jovanovic's Jovanovic's Brentwood Guest Home in September 2021 for six months at the rate of $105 a night, with fees bringing the total to $20,793, according to court documents. But her Airbnb stay ended... In April 2022, and Hirshhorn has been living there rent-free ever since. A judge ruled that under the city's rent stabilization ordinance, Jovanovic has no legal reason to evict her under Los Angeles's recently adopted Just Cause Ordinance and would be required to pay her relocation fee to evict her. In an email to Jovanovic's lawyer obtained by the Los Angeles Times, Hirshhorn's attorney, Amanda Seward, argued $100,000 is Jovanovic's cheapest way of getting the whole uh, of, I guess, cheap, cheapest way of getting, getting out of the whole ordeal. It is the home of the tenant until the landlord gets a judgment, however distasteful that is to your client. Hirshhorn's attorneys also argue she should not pay rent and should instead be paid back 
the $20,000 is $20,793 because the city never approved the guest house for occupancy and its shower was constructed without a permit. The landlord broke the law and tried to make money by renting out an illegal boarding unit, her attorney Colin Walshuk told the LA Times. After he was caught, instead of doing the right thing, he has resorted to bullying, harassment, and filing of frivolous lawsuits containing elaborate, elaborate false stories, all in an attempt to cover his track. But Jovanovic's attorney, Sebastian Rucci, disagrees. She's the tenant from hell, he said of Hirschhorn. If she's right, the theory that if a landlord has something that isn't permitted, then you can stay there rent-free forever. According to court documents obtained by the Times, Jovanovic and Hirschhorn were cordial for the first few months she was staying at his guest house, exchanging niceties and their paths crossed and uh, as their when their paths crossed and sharing tea and small talk on the deck that separates the main house from the accessory dwelling unit. Oh, how cute. The trouble nice. apparently began about five months into Hirschhorn's stay when she complained her electronic blinds stopped working. When Jovanovic went into the unit to repair them, he noticed water damage and signs of mold around her sink, which he claims were not there before Hirschhorn moved in. He offered to pay for her to stay in a hotel for five days while a contractor handled the repairs. Either the Santa Monica Hilton or Sure Best or Sure Stay Best Western in Santa Monica, noting that many of his visiting doctors stay there, according to messages reviewed by the Times. Jovanovic even offered Hirschhorn $1,500 toward any other hotel, the messages and emails show according to the Times. But Hirschhorn declined, writing back, quote, I don't feel safe being forced to vacate with a housing disability and the high risk of COVID-19 complications. She cited LA oh. County's COVID-19 tenant protections resolution and a 2011 doctor's note about extreme chemical sensitivities. Apparently still trying to assuage Hirschhorn, Jovanovic then offered for her to stay in his home, but she declined that as well, citing an extreme disability due to cat dander. She now claims in a countersuit that Jovanovic in inappropriately invited her to move in with him. Tensions continued through the rest of the stay, and when it became clear Hirschhorn was not leaving or allowing any access inside the unit, Jovanovic reluctantly agreed she could stay through April 12th to give her time to find another place, according to an email in his complaint. She asked for more time, but I told her it wasn't possible since I had other Airbnb reservations coming up. Jovanovic told the Times, but then I tried to be nice and give her an extra few weeks. When she still wouldn't move, Jovanovic resorted to getting the city housing department involved and filing motions to, to evict her. <clears throat> Hirschhorn, in turn, reached out to the city's Department of Building Safety, which found two code violations in the unit that it was unapproved for occupancy and had an unpermitted shower. She then sent a complaint to a housing investigator alleging illegal eviction, harassment, and refusal to pay for uh, refusal to pay her relocation fees. The housing investigator mm. concluded that because the unit violated city codes, Jovanovic had to withdraw his eviction notices until he could prove the guest house was in compliance. 
But Jovanovic argues that when he tried to access the unit to make the repairs, Hirschhorn would not let him inside. He has he was recently fined $600 for not complying. Jovanovic is now suing Hirschhorn in two different cases, a damages complaint to recoup, recoup $58,000 in paid rent uh, and an appeal of the judge's decision to dismiss the eviction case. This isn't about one ruling. It's about the entire foundation, Rucci argued. If she's right, you can rent an Airbnb for two days and then refuse to leave on the third unless the landlord pays you to leave. But Hirschhorn filed a countersuit in August accusing Jovanovic of 15 violations, including negligence, nuisance, in, uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress, unlawful business practices, and a violation of L.A. County COVID procedures. Hmm. The fact that she's pulling up all the COVID nonsense to oh, justify yeah. this makes me think that this is not realistic. Well, interestingly... So he found a bunch of mold and nonsense. So basically she probably lived like a pig. And so he found a bunch of mold and water damage all throughout the premises. But she didn't want to leave to allow repairs to be done. That means I, I suspect because first of all, absolutely ridiculous. Oh, I can't go to a hotel because of COVID and because of my allergies and because of my whatever you're staying in a fucking Airbnb. That doesn't yeah. make sense. Like on its face, I can tip that complaint over immediately. You're staying in an Airbnb. So no, it's, it's at, it's at best the same. Um, yeah. <laughs> but secondarily, um, I would say it is very obvious to me that this woman knows the law and she was weaponizing the law because her refusal to leave is because then like if she absolutely like if she leaves the premises that creates a problem because it means that like there are legal reasons why somebody wouldn't do that like oh I don't want to go stay in a hotel because if I go stay in a hotel then I'm agreeing to be relocated and that's going to destroy my you must pay my relocation which I'm not yeah. even sure where that's coming from that's confusing to me like there's mm-hmm. some odd law in California where if somebody like basically if you want to evict a tenant and you're not completely like within reason, you have to pay their relocation. That just seems insane to me. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And like a lot of these laws probably had a or like the probably had the best intentions behind them. Well, we just want to prevent people from being <coughs> mean and shitty. Yeah, I however feel that it opens up a lot of abuse people like this are what ruin everything because a lot of times you're right laws are written for good intent we don't want to have there to be bad actors we don't want there to be shitty people but then they get weaponized by shitheads like this woman and it ruins everything because then it results in even more laws even stricter in fact this woman's actions are going to make it more difficult for people who don't have, by the way, two lawyers. I don't know if you caught that. This woman had two different lawyers because this article contained responses from two different lawyers on her side, one lawyer on the uh, other guy's side. She had two different lawyers. So she can afford two lawyers. So she's doing pretty well. She can afford a $20,000 Airbnb. 
But the laws that are going to be mm-hmm. written for the protection of landlords after this fiasco is going to result in people who don't have a lot of money, people that are poor or working poor, having a much harder time renting something. Because every single landlord in LA County now is going to go, well, I need to make sure that that shit can't happen. And so they're going to be less, they're going to be less inclined to help people out because they don't want to have the next Hirschhorn staying in their place. And especially when it's mm -hmm. obvious that the state of California will absolutely side against you in favor of the person squatting in your house. Well, and additionally, this is like how you get fucking murdered. Yeah. Like if there was someone squatting in someone's house like this, the chances that someone eventually goes, well, I can't rely on the legal system to solve this problem. So I have to rely on an extra legal solution to this problem. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a good thing. And it's insane. I, like I said, I don't know the legal in the legal ins and outs of this story. But it's also California, so I imagine that it's not necessarily great, um, or, or or it's not. It wouldn't be shocking if it it was this stupid. I just can't fathom a judge that legitimately sat there and was like, "Well, no, I mean, this obviously you owe this lady money. She's totally not weaponizing the system against you and being a complete shithead and a terrible person. So I'm gonna yeah. vote on her side. Yeah. Like, oh my god, I honestly." I hope that judge, like, I hope somebody just decides to move into that judge's garden shed and then refuse to leave. Yeah, that would be pretty, that'd be pretty good. Or if he owns rental property, I hope somebody, like, I hope this Jovanovic guy finds out that that judge has, like, rental property and has, like, one of his buddies move in and then just, like, rents it for a night and then refuses to leave and cites his own judge's orders and be like, yeah, fuck you, I'm not going anywhere. Like, because honestly, Mm -hmm. that's exactly how you get this stuff to stop. You have to make it hurt these people. And it is. It is because I don't know anything about this Jovanovic guy. He's a a rich dentist that lives in L.A. He probably voted for the people. I mean, likely because it's Los Angeles and it's California, which is a liberal hell state. Um, He probably voted for the people who passed this shit. Probably. And unless, unless I see some sort of evidence that he didn't. If I find out that maybe he's a conservative, you know, or whatever, maybe he was like a Trump supporter or something. Other than that, the only thing that I can say, and it's unfortunately going to have to be the last thing that I say when it, you know, for this program, because we're at time now. But the only thing that I'm going to be able to say is, well, you get what you vote for. <laughs> um, but that's going to have to be it for the yeah. show today. Of course, uh, you can always check us out by going to subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio where you can become a subscriber, get access to our Discord channel there. It's only $2.99 a month. Additionally, be sure to share out this podcast to all of your friends and family and everybody else so they can also get access to the truth. Uh, maybe uh, on the Discord a little bit, I'll uh, cover a little bit about how, uh, how uh, Joe Biden kicks his dog. Uh, there was a video out there, and we'll throw it up on our Discord so you guys can see how Joe Biden kicks his dog, which makes him a terrible human being. But other than that, we'll have to see you guys next week. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. This is Wrong Think Radio. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>